We've officially hit the dog days of summer in the 2019 season, with the power teetering back and forth with an above 500 record as we wind down the final 25 games of the year. It's been a season of many successes here in West Virginia, but also many things left unsettled. There almost seems to be a cloud of what-if question marks surrounding this ball club. What if Julio Rodriguez hadn't gotten hurt and missed two months in the first half? How eye-popping would the offensive numbers be for the Mariners' number two prospect? And yet, would he still even be in West Virginia if he had that offensive surge and possibly an all-star nod? What if Jared Kelnick hadn't been tested with a promotion to high in Modesto in mid-May and stayed the rest of the first half at least with the power? Conversely, what if Logan Gilbert had been given more time to develop in the lower levels instead of accelerating his way to AA Arkansas? What if Jamal Wade and Nolan Hoffman hadn't seen their seasons come to an early close, but instead had stayed the course and bolstered an already remarkable power bullpen? It's hard not to sit and wonder what might have been for the 2019 team with the gluttony of talent it has possessed this season. But things just haven't quite clicked as much as some might have expected them to this year. Despite the looming question marks around this bunch, the current group has several players really starting to surge. Offensively, Bobby Honeyman and Ryan Ramiz have found the consistency they have been yearning for all season, and newcomers Austin Shenton and Matt Sanders have put together solid starts to their time in Charleston. On the mound, the 2019 draft class has become a source of frustration for opposing South Atlantic League hitters, as guys like Logan Reinhardt, Reed Morgan, and Reeves Martin have all found their strides. It's been a season full of exciting moments, trying times, and intriguing stories. But mostly, it's just been a whole lot of fun. One man who's been so fun to watch develop is Charlie McConnell, who's worked his way into the everyday center fielder spot and shined, especially defensively. He joins us next as we kick off episode number seven of the inaugural season of Expanding the Grid. back here to Appalachian Power Park, episode number seven of Expanding the Grid. David Kahn, Kyle Yeomans with you inside the home radio booth, and we are joined now by our player guest for this edition of Expanding the Grid. It is power outfielder Charlie McConnell. Charlie, thanks for joining us. I know this year has been a little bit different than maybe what you might have been expecting to come in, but just kind of talk about how this year has developed for you overall. Well, learning a lot about myself, that's for sure. Uh, day in, day out, just come to the field and work. Obviously, you get to learn from Ferris and Berg every day to guys who play in the big leagues and know what it's like so I mean you can't really get more knowledge from those two than anywhere else I guess but no it's just a big learning curve like you, you come in having success and you gotta fail baseball's a game of failure and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm learning, learning how to fail. Really good at it, though. Yeah, it's incredible <laughs> that you get to play a game where three of three out of ten is is a Hall of Famer, basically. So, uh, but it definitely uh, a good mindset to have going in. And uh, what was your what was your role that you were kind of told going into the season? You knew you were going to start with West Virginia after having, having a really good first year in Everett. Uh, did you know kind of how you were going to play into this this power outfield, especially with guys like you know Kelnick and Julio starting off here as well? Well, I actually didn't know if I was going to start here because they wanted to work on my swing okay. in spring training. So there was talk of staying back and extended for a few weeks. But somehow I ended up here, and then I got to come with Kellen Julio, Ramiz, and then Trejo started with us as well. But, like, I don't know. You can't really expect much. Just go and work, I guess, like I just said. I mean, you don't, you don't really know what's going to happen. All you can do is just show up, 
play every day and, I don't know, hopefully make an impact and help the team win. And it seems like you've had kind of that that core group of outfielders. You, you mentioned those five guys that you started the season with. Some of those guys have been promoted or demoted and uh, still in the Mariners' system. But overall, I mean, you, Julio, and then Ryan Ramiz have really kind of been able to solidify yourselves as that starting outfield. How fun is that for you to be able to know the the camaraderie is there? Well, it's fun because, like, we all know what each other can do in the outfield, like whether – I'm in center, Julio's in center. It doesn't matter where we are. Like, we know what each one of us can do in the outfield, what their strengths are, and, I mean, we can play off each other. And I don't know. It just, it just makes it fun. Like, if, if Julio's in center and he's telling me to, like, move over to the line, like, I'm going to listen to him because he knows what he's talking about. Or it's like vice versa. I do the same. Talk to Ramiz or talk to Julio. Like, I know. It, it makes it easier because you trust each other. Did you have a preferred spot in the outfield? I know you've played all three this year, uh, mostly center and left, but do, do you prefer a certain area? I like center, but as long as I'm in there, that's all that matters most. I mean, center field's a fun place to play, and you've made some miraculous defensive uh, efforts out there as well. I mean, you've been able to show off the speed, which we obviously know that you have, and then also a little bit of the leather. Tell us about uh, where you started like learning uh, to have that pride on the defensive side. So I didn't become a full-time outfielder till my junior year, so last year. I was a third baseman before that, not a very good one, obviously. That's why they moved me to the outfielder. That's where all the good in, or bad infielders go to die. But I uh, sort of just learned that in uh, BP. My coach from uh, Northeastern, Mike Glavin, just took pride in that. Like, to go get your live reads, try and do it every day here as well. Like, it's the only time you're going to see the ball off the bat. and I mean, it's the only way you can get better at it, I guess. And you've become quite the defensive outfielder. You haven't made an error basically since mid-May, 57 straight games going back to that uh, Charleston River Dog series. But, uh, you know, I know that the year, first to start the year, you mentioned you were working on your, your swing mechanics and you had a bit of a rough start at the plate. Was there a bigger adjustment than you kind of expected to the South Atlantic League or was it just, you know, new year, you're still tweaking some things and, and trying to get settled in? I think it's a combination of both. Like, you're obviously getting better pitching because you're moving up a level. I think you're seeing this year more guys can command their off-speed stuff. And, I mean, you have at-bats where maybe you get one fastball. Sometimes you don't even get one. And, I mean, that's the adjustment you have to you have to make. And then along with the swing stuff, like, I know, you can't, can't overthink it. Baseball's not a thinking man's game. Now, uh, when Jaron Kelton got promoted in mid-May, that kind of solidified your spot as the everyday center fielder to, to take over in his absence. Did that shift your mindset at all to be like, all right, now, you know, I know this is my spot now because you're, you're not, you know, you weren't sharing time with Kelnick? Uh, not really, because just going there, just hopefully being in the lineup every day. That's it. Like that's all you can ask for. Obviously, coming in playing center, like that's where I'd love to play. But I mean, it's out of your control. But. I don't know. I got, I got no complaints. I was still playing before that and then just slide on over. And then now that you are playing on um, mostly an everyday basis, whether it be in center field, right or left, and uh, you talk about the changing of the swing, and I'm a little curious about this because a, a normal everyday person would say, hey, you play 140 games a year, it'd be easy to work your swing and, and fix things, but it doesn't necessarily come that easy because, like you said, it's not a thinking game, but you still got to think at the same time. How does that work? It doesn't work. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've tried to. I've been a bunch of different spots with my swing this year, but I mean, I don't know. It, take it what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, all you can do is really just compete. And I mean, that's what Berg and he, he preach is just compete. And when it comes down to it, that's all I'm trying to do. I mean, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But hey, 
It's baseball. <laughs> Charlie McConnell joining us here on Expanding the Grid. Now, you mentioned uh, working with power hitting coach Eric Ferris a few times. What has been the biggest thing that he's imparted upon you so far this year? There's a lot of them. Um, probably just, like, staying true to what I'm good at and, like, not getting out of my game, I guess, so to say. Like, obviously, like, you're playing with guys like Julio Kalnick that are going to drive the ball over the fence, like, I can't do that. If I do it, it's an anomaly. It happens every once in a while. But it's just like staying true to yourself, knowing the type of player you are. And then it goes back to that whole compete thing. Like, all you can do is compete, have a competitive bat, have a good quality at bat. Like, you can't control whether you get a hit or not. Like, you hit a ball hard, you beat the pitcher. Like, he knows it. Everyone else knows it. His mom knows it. Like, <laughs> you won that at bat. Yeah. And it seems like this is kind of a coaching staff that's a little bit younger compared to maybe some of the others in the South Atlantic League. And they also like to keep things loose, and especially whether it's in the dugout or in the clubhouse. Is that something that helps you out as a guy who, you know, you're working on things every day, but you can still go to these guys and they keep it light and fun at the same time? Yeah, just like it takes pressure off. Like it makes you forget, like, all the negative side of baseball. Like, I mean, it makes it fun to come to the field every day. Like you wake up, you're like, all right, like, I got the best job in the world. I get to go hang out with two guys that literally know everything about the game of baseball, and I get to learn from them every day, and I know maybe spread that wisdom one day. There you go. Now, one thing that we've seen uh, develop for you, besides your defense, at least when when you're on the bases, is you're a great base dealer. I mean, we've seen that. You set the career record for stolen bases at your high school. You set the program record at Northeastern. You led the conference in your final year. You, you were third in Everett last year, and now you're leading the team this year. Uh, when did you notice that base stealing was going to be a, a huge part of your game? Uh, probably high school. Just recognize I was fast. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> no, just recognize good speed, and obviously you don't want that to go to waste. Like You want to take advantage of that. I mean, if you're going to hit a single, and you got to find a way to get on second to help the team score. So, I mean, that's just where that played in because – I mean, I mean, I'm gonna hit doubles, not not that many, sometimes here or there, but uh, if you can get on first, like you got a good chance to make that into a double, quote unquote. But I don't know whatever you can do to help the team win. Now, what are some of the the tips and tricks that you've learned over the years to to make yourself such a uh, successful base dealer? It goes back to that. Don't think, don't second guess yourself. That's like, don't be scared to get thrown out, which is I honestly think is the biggest thing. Like, if you're scared to get thrown out and you're hesitant, you're gonna get thrown out. Like, even if you do get thrown out, whatever, they beat you. Pitcher, catcher beat you. But just getting back and just running, being aggressive. And I know it was one of the things that Kyle and I talked about early on in the year because we expected you to come in and steal bases right away, and it seemed like there was a bit of a slow start. Was was there that hurdle mentally for you saying, you know, I don't need to be afraid to get thrown out? I think it was more just a, a getting on base problem. <laughs> you can't, can't steal first base as much as I wish you hey, could. Hey, you can in the Atlantic League. That's true. That's, true. that's, that's what that is. <laughs> well, since then, I mean, you haven't been thrown out. I mean, you're nine for nine in stolen base opportunities. And uh, you, you talk about having that, that mental block of saying, hey, you can't be afraid to get thrown out. I know that's not there for you now because you haven't been thrown out. But is it also just a, a factor of you being able to read the pitcher better than others? Yeah, like, obviously, I mean, you look in the dugout, you'll get the time. Some guys are quicker than others to the plate. Like, if you get a guy sub 1-3, you're probably not going to go mm-hmm. unless you have to. It's late innings and you need a run, but even then it's still risky. depends who's hitting. Um, but once you see that guy's 1-3 or above, you're, like, you're going to risk it. You're going to go unless you got a guy back there who's throwing the ball about 95 to second base. Then <laughs> you got to get a really good jump. 
Yeah. When you're having the success that you do stealing bases, is there more of a tendency for you to, you know, when you get on base, to be like, all right, I'm ready to go? You know, even in, uh, do you expand more of your opportunities to try and take off? Yeah, like you're thinking to go first pitch. You're ready to go. You get right on base, like, all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> just talk to the first baseman for a little bit and then make your way to second. So, so it's just like Major League where, where he, asks, he asks him where he's going. He said about 90 feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. I like that. Have you had a conversation with a first baseman like that where you told him you're about to go? No, I just just a little friendly bantering over there, and then I just leave, and we don't get to finish the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wave at it from second and say, "Hey, I'll finish it next time I'm on base"? I probably should, but you got to get back on base. That's the hardest part. <laughs> you got to get ready to go to third. I mean, yeah, you got to have your conversation with the second baseman or the shortstop at that t- at that time. Exactly. And now we kind of uh, alluded to it, a little bit of a slow start for you this year in terms of just getting on base and, and finding some holes. And uh, I mean, during your final season at Northeastern, I mean you hit almost 500 through your first two series so you've gone off gotten off to quick starts before how tough was that mentally for you this year kind of seeing the struggles early on um I did the same thing last year in Everett it took me three games before I got my first professional hit Mm -hmm. so like I wasn't freaking out too much and then I did the same thing summer in the Northwoods League it took me four games to get my first hit which is weird summer summer baseball professional baseball I'm always slow to start and then college for some reason I, I mix it and hits right away yeah <laughs> now what were some of the takeaways you had from your first year in Everett you ended up hit, having a very good season you, know, you hit over 280 uh, you, you were third in the team in stolen bases you, you got a couple of home runs you, you obviously touted to put together quite a few hits and you ended the season quite strong on a nine game hitting streak so so what did you take away from that first year after such a successful year at Northeastern just like confidence just just I can do this I can compete at this level and I mean, I feel like that's the biggest thing. Like, sometimes you're, you're not going to have a perfect swing. Like, you're not going to be the most talented guy on the field, obviously. It's just confidence. And I think uh, a good person to look at for that is Bobby. Like, the kid just radiates confidence. <laughs> he, just, he just hits, 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 and hits, and it's so much fun to watch, especially seeing him come from Everett. And then this year he was a slow start too, and then just confident all the way and just kept going and going. You can just learn a lot from watching him play. Does it help to have guys that have that are going through the similar struggles that you are going through that you were going through at the beginning of the year to kind of you know bounce ideas off each other and say hey what are you doing to, to start finding your groove what are you what are you changing up at the plate yeah I mean you're going through it together those are your teammates your friends your buddies you're with them every day so you're obviously going to talk about it I mean you sort of just got you build each other up just build each other up to get out of it and just like I said keep that confidence I mean it's the only way to get out of it and just not get too negative about it. Charlie McConnell joining us here on Expanding the Grid. Uh, you mentioned Bobby Honeyman, and I know you, Bobby, and Ryan Ramiz are all roommates here in Charleston. You, you came up together from Everett last year. I, your relationship seems really close with those three. Just talk about how that relationship molded over the last couple of years and how fun it's been to play with them the last two years. Yeah, I mean, just it, um, we all got drafted, went down to Arizona. Um, I sort of didn't really branch out much. I'm, I'm very quiet. Before you get to know me, strong personality sometimes, <laughs> um, a little strange. But now we get to Everett, and I mean, it just gelled right away. We just hung out all the time. I mean, we're, we're missing Ogren now. Obviously, that was he was probably my best friend. So that was a tough one to lose early on in the season. But just living with those guys day in day out, we we have fun. Like it's fun to come to the field with them. Like I'm with them 24/7. You'd think we'd get sick of each other, but we don't. <laughs> Go back, play Fortnite together, get mad at each other. It's, I don't know. It's a, it's a dynamic relationship, that's for sure. 
did it help that they were all that you're all northeast guys? Yeah, so we call ourselves the Northeast Grinders. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's new. I like all that. Right. Yeah, I like that one. When did you come up with that name? That was last year in Everett. E he hates it. California guy. Bird. <laughs> not about it either. Just, well, he's from Texas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just the Northeast, the Northeast baseball. They're against it, but. The grinders are here to stay. And it seems like you're, you're a guy who likes to soak up a lot of information, whether it's learning from the coaches or learning from guys like that who, who you've been around now for the last couple of years. Uh, is that something that helped you not only last year in Everett to, to end the season strong, but now this year with West Virginia as we enter the final 30 games or so? Yeah, it's just it goes all back to that confidence piece. Like you're able to piece it all together and, I mean, hopefully figure it out. But you just – take it with you I mean a lot of guys actually it's interesting the Mariners are big on like they have a it's like a mental skills journal but like it's a lot of people they'll write down like what they learned today or like something that happened in the game and it's like you can just go back and look at all that I mean I don't really write stuff down necessarily which they probably wouldn't be too happy about that, but <laughs> <laughs> just Mariners like, tune out for this portion of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Turn back in, in about two minutes. <laughs> but we can, <laughs> we can, we just go home and like we talk about. I mean, obviously you're going to talk about baseball. It's your yeah. life. It's, it's all you do. I don't know for literally six months, seven months of the year, and that's that's your life right now. And just like talking is the only way to gain information, learn something about the pitcher, whether it's in the game or at home, or like what you see off this guy, because like we have Rome coming in today we played them in the last series as a starter we faced him like we know what he's going to throw you know how he's going to pitch you like I, as long as if you listen ask questions like you got an advantage right there or at least you think you do from having that relationship with with guys like Bobby Honeyman and, and Ryan Ramiz you obviously get to know them very well what is something about Bobby and Ryan that you can share that most people don't know all right uh, I'll start with Ramiz Ramiz is a neat freak like really yeah, so if you go look at his locker, every hanger's the right way. It's on the left side. All hangers on the left side. Then it's neatly organized on the right side. The top's neatly organized. Shoes up top, neatly organized. And so what Bobby and I like to do is at home, he does the same thing at home, too, with his clothes. All the hangers and shirts have to face the right way, so we'll turn them around and mess with them. <laughs> the shoes out of place, and he freaks out. I had one day we got back from a road trip. I think his family was in town, so he left early. I mirrored his locker, so I put everything the other way but organized, and he freaked out. He noticed it right away, and I was shocked. Wow. Um, so you just flip-flopped it. Yeah, it literally mirrored his locker, but he noticed it. Genius. That's impressive. Yeah, I like That's it. That's impressive on your part, but it's also impressive on how neat he is to the fact that he he realized it immediately. Right. Yeah, I kind of envy it. I'm a, I'm a bit messy sometimes. They get on me for that. <laughs> Only in my room, though, not in the common spaces. Okay. All right, <laughs> that's well, that's good. fair. That's it's your room. It's your yeah. personal space. Yeah. Like, yeah, it makes yeah, sense. I clean as my room when I do dishes, my laundry. Then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, then you're I fine. do the dishes, take out the trash every once in a while. Ramiz gets me on. That's a solid roommate. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What, what do we got on Bob? Bob's big on his shoes. So new shoes. Whenever I'm looking for shoes, I go to Bob for advice. Okay. Or if not, he'll make fun of me if I buy a terrible pair of shoes, and they'll call them dad shoes, and then <laughs> I'm not feeling good about my purchase oh, that, no. that I just wasted money on. But, no, he's big, big shoe guy. If you need shoe advice, go right to him. Now, here's my question. This is a follow-up on what you just said. Has he ever said that David and I wear dad shoes? Because if that's the case, then me and Bobby Hunt even have a problem. No, but I could go in the clubhouse right after this and ask him. And, and ask him? Say, and yeah, he'll probably say it? He'll probably say he's got oh, no yeah. style. No, I, I have. I mean, I, I don't have any style. I know that. I'm going to ask. So. I need a new pair of shoes, so I'm now going to ask Bobby Honeyman. That's the conversation I'm having today. Yeah, go to – you. 
go on, go online, maybe Amazon. Okay. Get yourself a discount. Find some shoes you like. Go up to him. Say, Bob, you like these? He'll be straight off with you. Either give me a yes <laughs> or no. Okay. If he really likes them, be like, yeah, those are fresh. And then okay. You get them. You Perfect. have to get them. And if yeah. he doesn't say anything, that means that you don't even. Like, He'll give you. Eh, yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the classic, like Bobby. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to be mean, <laughs> but yeah. Right. Here. Right. Yeah. All right. So how many shoes does Bobby Honeyman own? He's got a lot. It's funny because he didn't even bring all his shoes here. He's got to have at least like 12 to 15 pairs in his room. But it's funny because his brother, I uh, was back home in high school, will send him Snapchats of him with his shoes on, and Bobby would just lose it and have a connection <laughs> and FaceTime him, freaking out, like, take my shoes off. <laughs> I love this. This is awesome. <laughs> That's great. That's amazing. Charlie McConnell sharing some gems here on Expanding the Grid. Now, you mentioned uh, missing Ryan Ogren. Obviously, he was traded to the Baltimore Orioles, and we've seen him a few times in Delmarva. We'll see him on our next road trip when we go to Lakewood and Delmarva for our final multi-series road trip of the year. Uh, but the trade deadline just passed. It was, it was a couple days ago, the hard trade deadline, July 31st at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Was there any murmuring in the clubhouse for you guys? Uh, you know, obviously with the Mariners, they're more rebuilding stages. They're trying to add minor league talent. They're trying to, you know, bolster the minor leagues. Was there any talk about, you know, any worries that someone might be going in the next few days? No, because I mean, you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. You, like, they always tell, like, don't play GM. You can't. You, you don't know what's happening, like, why guys are moving or any of that stuff. Like, I mean, Ryan getting traded, we didn't even think he'd get traded. We were just sitting there eating breakfast. He gets a call and... Like, yeah, even traded. And it was just like, whoa. It just, that just shows you, like, the whole business side of it. Like, we were down in Arizona last year for, uh, they call it HPC. It's just like the strength camp. Sure. And we're just hanging out, watching Game of Thrones, going to bed early, obviously, because we got to get up at 7. And uh, Plasmeyer, who's with the Rays now, got a phone call. And we're like, yeah, you you just been dealt. He was in the Zanino trade for, I think it was Malik Smith. And that's that was, like, our first moment of it where it's like okay this is a business and then lo and behold like two months later Stowers gets traded to the Yankees <laughs> and then it was just I mean you see it in spring training too we lost two guys two pitchers before we even came here one when we got here and then one literally the day before we flew out now uh, you know with that trade deadline in mind you talked about you know it's been only been a little bit more than a year since you were drafted into the Mariner system and you've had some guys go some guys you know join your your group what was draft day like for you when you got picked by Northeastern? 13th rounder, uh, you know, the fifth highest pick ever in Northeastern history. What was what was that moment like for you? I was just sitting on the couch, um, just just waiting. I mean, I kind of had a feeling I was going to go, knew I was going to go, but just like, obviously you, you have that doubt in your mind, and I was sort of just sitting there, and I wasn't paying attention. I was just watching TV and my dad and I were on the couch, and he had the draft tracker pulled up. I had it pulled up. I wasn't paying attention. He's like, yeah, the Mariners just took you. I was like, what? And then I looked <laughs> down and saw my name, and it was pretty surreal. Then you get a phone call after that, just like, congratulations. I mean, it's something you'll never forget. Like, it's a it's a once-in-a-lifetime moment, and obviously something you've worked for, like, your whole life, and for it to actually happen, like, it's such a rewarding feeling. And did you have any idea that the Mariners were looking at you during the draft process, or that, did that kind of just come out of nowhere, like you said? Yeah, I, I, I talked with the scout in our area a bunch. Um, he emailed me the day before asking if I was ready to sign, which was a little strange. <laughs> but, uh, he emailed you. That's, yeah. that's interesting. I feel like most of this goes through text or phone calls. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's why I was thrown off. But, 
yeah, it was one of the teams I talked to, so it wasn't a complete surprise. Um, yeah, uh, I was thought I was going to someone else, but the Mariners grabbed me and changed it up. There you go. Now, you, you came off a, a fantastic year at Northeastern last year. You were the the conference player of the year, and you led you know Northeastern in the conference in multiple categories. Was that year for you uh, you know a huge turning point for you when you became a full-time outfielder? You, you had a tremendous year at the plate, and obviously you got drafted. Yeah. Um, I think it turned around. I went out to the Northwoods after my sophomore year. I had a little rough sophomore year. Uh, did some swing changes, a lot of strikeouts, just like now, but – We'll figure it out day by day. Um, yeah, went out there and sort of just like found myself again and like sort of the love of baseball, I guess. It, it's kind of poetic <laughs> in a way. But yeah, I was out there all summer away from home, away from everyone I knew and sort of just was with a great group of guys. I was with the uh, Wisconsin Rapids Rafters right in the middle of Wisconsin. Appleton, right? Near it, yeah, yeah. Like 45 minutes away. Yeah. And just played out there, and I, I loved it. And just that confidence I built there carried over into the season. And just everything worked out how you want it to work out. What was it about being there with really no support besides the guys that were there playing with you that made you fall back in love with the game? It was kind of just like learning, uh, learning who I am as a player all over again. Like my sophomore year, I tried – Tried to hit home runs. Didn't really work out. Obviously, it goes back to knowing the type of player you are. And out there, I think I, I sort of figured it out. And just like I said, I was with a great group of guys out there. Just That just made it fun to go to the field every day. And, I mean, you're traveling in some states you'd never think you'd go to out there. And it's just I, I had so much fun. And I don't know, even though I was out there basically until school started, it was just an experience I'll never forget. Why would you end up going to Northeastern? Um... So it was between them and BC, actually. And it was after, I think it was my sophomore summer, sophomore summer going into junior year. And just Coach Glavin just uh, loved my visit there and everything. And right in the city of Boston, I mean, close enough to home where it's far enough away from home. And just it just came all down to Coach Glavin. Like, I just loved my visit, and that was it. I wanted to go there. And you mentioned BC, and then you also mentioned the fun of the game and having the love for the game. Does March 20th, 2018, does that date ring a bell for you? March 20th. Was that that 18-inning Oh, game? yeah. 18-inning oh, marathon game. And you went five for nine in that ball game with two triples and a double against the team that you almost went and played for? What was that day like? I mean, that's a miraculous just – interesting storyline that's kind of intertwined in your time in Northeastern. Yeah, first off, I think it was like, it might have been 35 degrees that day. It was awful. <laughs> but well, that adds to it. Yeah, <laughs> 18 innings on a midweek game. I don't want to play nine innings in 35 degrees, <laughs> let alone even yeah. all. <laughs> you got class the next day. Um, no, it was, it's, it's like bittersweet. Um, I kind of like struggled against them before. Like, obviously you want to like prove like, oh, like a I don't know, obviously that whole I'm better than BC sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that, that's a great program over there. Bobby's younger brother's actually going there. But the, I had a bunch of friends on that team, just great group of guys. I mean, it's it's sort of like a rivalry. It was um, that I think that was the first time we beat BC in my time at Northeastern too, which is like, I know, it felt good because like coming into that game, it was always like, all right, like 
we, we can't beat them for some reason, and it's it's frustrating because, like, you want to beat them. Because, obviously, ACC, like, you, you want bragging rights. Right. But that game was something else. We had one my freshman year, JMU. It was my first conference series, 19 innings. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. That was that was, one 35 degrees or no? No, thankfully that okay. one was, like, 50 or 60. But <laughs> it was kind of funny. There was a frat house out in right field, and the game started at 7. They left, went out, did their thing or whatever. They get back. We're still playing. It's like the 15th inning. They come over like, you guys are still playing? We're like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Only in college baseball. (laughs) That's the best. (laughs) Now, did it it help that um, you were – I know you're a big Boston sports fan. You grew up in Reading. Uh, Did it help that Northeastern's two minutes away from Fenway Park? Yeah, I mean, it's a short walk right there. I mean – Someone just be like, hey, I got socks tickets. You want to go? Yeah, just walk on over, <laughs> stroll right into Fenway, and then it's a five-minute walk back. I mean, don't have to deal with parking or anything. Like, you live right around the corner. It couldn't be more ideal. How many games did you go to during your time in Northeastern? I had to have gone at least over ten. Wow. There you go. I mean, if it's five minutes away and it's one of the most historic ballparks in the entire world i mean why wouldn't you go to as many games as you could yeah you got it you can't waste that opportunity and go no. eat some hot dogs and Fenway frank yeah get fat and watch baseball <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do on a yeah, day-to-day yeah, basis yeah. so <laughs> now in northeastern you en- chose to end up majoring in finance uh why did you choose that uh it's just good with numbers I'd okay just i don't know not much, not much thought into it. It's just good with numbers. You and I need to talk because I'm not good with numbers. I was just saying this means he's smarter than than both of us. No, that's true. Majoring in finance, but no, absolutely. Are, are you still trying to finish off your degree? Yeah, I'm going back this fall. I have classes, full course load, so that'll be fun. Wow. Yeah, not not really fun, but <laughs> it'll be nice. So a good change of pace, or get away from baseball a little bit, and sort of get my brain churning again i was gonna say because there's some players that try and pl- do their degree while they're playing and i know how difficult that can be so you're you're separating the two you know you're doing baseball season and then fall course load just try and you know get the rest of the courses done and be, be out of there yeah just get a quick four months of school in and then <laughs> lock it back in for baseball mode is uh is finance a, a particular path you might pursue once your baseball career wraps up yeah I, i'm thinking going into there i don't really know what i want to do yet gotta Got to figure it out a little bit. Still got some time. You still got a career to finish in baseball. I mean, yeah, exactly. You, you, you got a little while, while ways to go. Exactly. Yeah, we're not necessarily thinking that you're you're ending your career anytime soon, but just general manager maybe with the finance and the numbers and things like that? that could, could that play. pop up? Yeah, that could play. Okay. I'll hire you guys. Interesting. Oh, we, we got a job. There it is. All right. We're good. We're good our go. our careers awesome. are saved. Charlie, yeah. Charlie just <laughs> saved Charlie. our career. Appreciate okay, you, perfect. man. All right. Charlie, Charlie McConnell joining us here <laughs> on Expanding the Grid. Now, I noticed one other thing you did during your time at Northeastern, and it looks like you, you still might be involved with, is something called Team Impact. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that organization and just how you got involved with them? So Team Impact is like you'd get a kid, I mean, whether it be disability, sick or something, they'd be assigned to your team, and um, they sort of – just come around. They're part of the team, and I mean, it's honestly a fulfilling experience to do it. Like you realize how good you have it. I mean, obviously you see it when you do like community service here too. But just having a kid there every day to practice, and like you knowing you make their day by just like talking to them for literally five minutes out of your day or hanging out with them. It's just like it's sort of a rewarding feeling. I mean, it's yeah, it's something special. 
Now, with that uh, that involvement with Team Impact, any relationships uh, come out of that for you specifically that you can go back to and uh, have that, that, like you said, the fulfill- fulfilling experience not only for them but for you as well? So we actually had a little boy, uh, Liam, who had Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, and he was there basically like every year. Still there now. Like their family, everything, they're a big part of the team. They come to our game when we play the Red Sox down at Fenway. Um, but it's actually pretty cool. He got a service dog last year, and my best friend and my other friend, they actually took ownership of the service dog when it was a puppy to train it for him. So they were training his service dog for him while being in school, and it was just it was one of the cooler things I've seen slash been a part of. That's wow. Awesome. Yeah. Are, are you still involved with Team Impact when you go when you go back home in the off season? I'm not involved as much, but when I go back, like if if you see the kids there at a practice, like if I see Liam, like they recognize you right away. They ask how you're doing, and I mean, it's awesome. It's just a relationship that lasts a lifetime. Is there anything similar you've been able to do here with the community service we've we've had in Charleston? Uh, we've gone out to the Challenger League a couple times, and those kids actually have come here, which is kind of nice because like you know them by names, they know your name, and. I mean, we had them out in right field the one day, and we were hitting, throwing, and it's just like it's it's so much fun because once again you're building that relationship, and that's something special to them, and something special to me as well. Like, I'm, you can't really replace that with anything else. Now, shifting gears uh, back a, a little bit earlier in this podcast, you touched on the fact that uh, you don't really write a lot of stuff down, but I know that you happen to have a note on your phone where you've kind of tracked your swing adjustments. And I think it goes back to, what, sophomore year of college, right? Yeah. So what made you start doing that, and, and just how in-depth is this massive note that you've got on your phone? It's not too massive. It's a couple scrolls to the bottom, but <laughs> it's, it's sort of just like when everything's going downhill, it's sort of like, all right, reset, read this, and sort of like you've done this before you've been in the same exact position before and it's sort of like to get yourself out of that little funk before i don't know you drive yourself crazy so are they more mental notes of just like you know keep going keep moving forward or is it actually like notations on okay i changed this i changed that or is it a little bit of both it's a little bit of both like it has some swing stuff in there like it's what i know what works for me so it's like i i know what i need to do to be successful because i know how my body works and all that stuff and then mentally it's just like exactly what you said like keep going like confidence stuff so it's really a lot of references back to to your time when you were successful it's kind of like the the saying uh those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it if you mess something up you want to know what you did wrong so you don't repeat it again in the future right Yes, exactly like you can i can go right to those notes and i'm like oh like i'm doing this right now or i go look on video and it's like compare my notes to and it's like well i'm an idiot for not looking at this earlier (laughs) (laughs) there you go now back before you uh you went to northeastern you used to play hockey right uh so uh when did you or what what was your position in hockey i was a left winger okay um you would be you're pretty big for a left winger right yeah I was pretty big on skates. <laughs> I was not an enforcer, though. I was, okay. Oh, I was going to ask you, did you ever get any big fights? No, nah, not any big fights. I was trying to score goals. That's, uh, that's, 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 that's the name that's of the game. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> you want to score more goals than the opponent. I guess that's a great That's a great reason. Get to celebrate and scoop eyes, shoot a little bow and arrow or something. Ooh. Like, yeah, or jump on the go-to? glass. What was my, my go-to? My go-to is just like the scoop, maybe a little fist pump. 
Nice. Or if I scored a goal and I didn't even realize it went in, it was just like, the hands <laughs> really like, all right, this yeah, is great. Let's go. All of a sudden, the horn's going off, and you're like, oh, I scored. Yeah, exactly. This is awesome. <laughs> when did you uh, When did you kind of stop playing hockey and, and focusing on baseball? Was it just when you went to college? Yeah. So finished hockey my senior year of high school, which is, which is tough because I played it. Since I think I learned how to skate before I learned how to run or walk. Mm. I mean, obviously, being from Boston, hockey's huge up in the Northeast. And just like it's a big part of my life that I don't really do anymore. I'll go skating every once in a while. I still got it, even though every time I joke, I probably won't be able to. And then it's just natural. It just comes back right away. Did you and your friends ever execute the flying V? No, but we oh. would always joke about it when we were in practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a solid question, David Kahn. I love that. I love that. Now, being around Boston, I'm assuming you're a Bruins fan, right? Yes. Through and through. So you hate the Blues. I don't At hate least right the now. Blues. I, you got to give credit where credit is due. Okay. They won a Stanley Cup. They haven't really had a Stanley Cup. So, I mean, it's like that Boston sports. The Patriots win every year. Eagles that's, get a Super Bowl. True. All my buddies from Philly let them have their time. And <laughs> boom, what happens the next year? Pats win. This is exactly how I talk. So. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I still hate the Blues. So, Well, I mean, that's your fault. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Dallas Stars. <laughs> we're, we're, we're okay with the fact the Blues beat our Bruins. I mean, that's, it's, that's it's, right. it's fine. Well, no you also have them 14 other right. championships to lean back on. So, Yeah, probably right. another one. Super Bowl this year. I mean, <laughs> okay, it's Tom Brady's, it's Tom Brady's birthday. birthday today. Yep, That's right. Is it yeah, really? It's, yeah. it's also my oh, mom's birthday today. Oh, but happy, so happy birthday to my mom. Happy Mama birthday Con, to Tom yeah. Brady. But um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, it is. It is Tom Brady. Tom it. Brady's birthday today. He's forty two. He's probably listening in. He's yeah. fired up. Old as dirt. I mean, <laughs> can't throw it twenty yards. Six Super Bowls. That's okay. That's, That's all fine. In the past, as of you know, seven months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fair. That was a yeah. great game. That was a great game. I was. I was actually there. Were you actually? Yep. I was trying to get tickets, and then I was like, eh, I don't want to spend that amount of money on tickets. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, <laughs> I kind of lucked into it. My my dad uh my dad knows a few people, and we 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 got we got lucky. All right, couple couple uh, quick hitters to wrap things up with Charlie McConnell here on expanding the grid. Now, uh, Brian Paul uh, mentioned to me before, right before we did this interview, he's like, all right, you got to ask Chuck about. Uh, about his sleep talking. Uh, he said that you sleep talk on the road. Is it only on the road or do you do it at home too? I or mean, do you not know? I wouldn't know at home because <laughs> nobody's in the room. Yeah, unless my dogs were there. My dogs are probably freaking out. But yeah, he's told me multiple times I've either like woke up screaming or something. Oh or like <laughs> I'll talk to him and he'll be like, Chuck, go back to sleep. I'm like, I'm awake. And I just don't remember any of it the next morning. Wow. <laughs> So it's not just sleep talking. It's like just, are you angry? Like I don't know. Maybe I'm having some cool dreams that I don't remember. But, that's true. Or a terrifying dreams. Yeah, or, or the worst dreams. <laughs> yeah. So you, you never remember sleep talking at all? No. Okay. Because it's funny because my uh, roommate from college, my best friend, said the same thing. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So it's just a normal thing for you. I, I guess. guess. I guess my mind's just churning at night. never stops working. Hmm. Has everybody? Has anybody ever retold you like a, an interesting conversation you ended up having while you were sleep talking um not off the top of my head but i'm sure if you ask brian he might have one or my roommate well he mentioned the <laughs> one that, that you mentioned where you he asked you you know he said you know stop and you were like i'm awake and, and you didn't you didn't remember the next day <laughs> you were so. not awake yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right a couple of submissions here from uh from nicholas fitzwater uh via our power email uh he wants to know who has the best beard on the team best beard well i would give it to myself for the month of june but uh, i don't want to give it a pause because 
it'll boost up his confidence. Too well, it's much. gone now. He's a mustache only he, now. Yeah. Well, he's he, he shaved that yesterday already. too, didn't he? Two days ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's clean shaven, Pazos now. Do we even have any beards now? I don't know if we have many more. Of course, David Ellingson had his early. Oh, Ellingson had a good one. He that was great that beard. was amazing. Yeah, he's always had one, too. I saw a picture of him on Facebook without a beard. I was like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll just go, we'll go facial hair ever. Uh, he, Nicholas also asked if you get facial hair envy. Yeah, I'm jealous. I want to be able to grow a beard. Like a full beard? Yeah, my problem, My left side looks phenomenal, and then you get to the right side, and there's just patches it's everywhere. It's a little patchy. Yeah, and underneath, it's mm. it's tough. Maybe I'll get a good mustache going. I probably won't shave anytime soon. I'll, I'll let it grow for August. We'll see how it plays out. I'm excited for this. I want to see mustache Charlie McConnell. Yeah. Mustache McConnell. Well, I, I want to see must, the mustache team. We did a mustache madness thing last year where everybody on the team grew mustaches for the entire it. last month of the season, and we actually did a fan poll. And uh, I think it was Ryan Purifoy, uh, one mustache madness. He's a he's an outfielder in the pirate system, but uh, he won it. He had a pretty fantastic well, mustache. Well, how about this? Let's start it. Charlie, you're going to be our clubhouse representative. Right. You're, we're going to start this, and not only are we going to grow mustaches, but the, the power are also going to make a playoff push, and Let's then we'll get it. into the postseason. Let's do it. Sound good? All right. I like what this. More do this we is need? a great. This is a yeah. great deal. I, I mean, I mean, sure. That that works. I'll, I'll me, grow yeah. my mustache too. I'll shave everything else. <laughs> I'm a little scared for that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, final final quick hitters for you. Uh, who is your uh, favorite player growing up? Our favorite player growing up, Nomar Garcia Parra. Nice. Yeah, can't can't beat that one. That's back when I was an infielder. Right, I was going to say infield <laughs> yeah. infield connection. He yeah. played the left side. You played the left side. Exactly. Like, yeah, uh, and then what was it was your favorite team always been the Boston Red Sox. Yes. That was the quickest answer I've ever heard, and I love. No, it. it's the Seattle Mariners now. Well, no, I said growing up. Oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, good he, save. You, you can, <laughs> you can, you can, you can like, you can like two teams. Oh no, you can. I mean, it's hard for Absolutely. me. I like like five teams because I've been four different You've been organizations. Yeah, I mean, no, so, that makes sense. You know, I mean, if Charlie goes to a different organization, <laughs> he's going to become a fan of them too because he, you know, eventually hope, hopes to be there. Yeah. Well, yeah, but Red Sox growing up though. Yeah, you can't beat him. No, Fenway. especially during that time too. Oh yeah, yeah. Back when everyone was rooting for them. Now everyone hates them again. But well, yeah, yeah. that's when everyone was like. We want the Sox to win. I mean, mm -hmm. you've already touched on it. They hate us because they ain't us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Four days in October. Best best 30 for 30 ever. Ooh, that is a good 30 for Goosebumps 30. Goosebumps every time. Yeah. Do you own the DVD? Honestly, I think we used to have it at my house. We had the whole, like, Red Sox World Series thing, the thing where they, they put up on the TV after. Like, right after? Yeah. <laughs> it's got the shirts <laughs> and the hats. Nineteen ninety nine plus tax. Like $50. Call now. We'll throw in an extra mini helmet. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so you're just, like, video recordings of the games. <laughs> 2004. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the best sporting event you've ever had a chance to attend as a fan? Best sporting event. I'm trying to think of some Patriots games. I went to the Tennessee Titans one in the playoffs last year. That wasn't a very good game because they floored them. Yeah. I mean, it was good for the Patriots, but it, was it wasn't a very exciting Patriots. game. Yeah. Sorry, so, sorry, Marcus Mariota. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a, a Red Sox game. They were playing the Yankees. I don't remember how old I was, but they were down like, I want to say 9-1 to or 10-1 to early, and they ended up coming back and winning the game and Everybody just went. I think they won on a walk-off, but we left before because I was probably like nine years old and I need to go to sleep. <laughs> wow. But they won on a walk-off, and I just remember them coming back and everyone going crazy. Hmm. Final question here for you. Uh, what are some of your goals just as we finish off the final 25 games or so of the year? Just have fun. 
have fun with it. Have fun every day. Obviously, season is what it is now. I mean, that's all I can do is have fun every day and sort of just keep building relationships with all the guys here. I mean, that's what's at the end of the day. That's what's most important. Well, Charlie, you've been a uh, a very fun guy to watch this year, a fun guy to get to know, and a fun guy to interact with. We appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck down the stretch. No, thanks for having me, guys. Episode number seven of Expanding the Grid for Charlie McConnell and Kyle Yeomans. I'm David Kahn saying so long from Appalachian Power Park. We'll have one final episode of Expanding the Grid to finish off our inaugural season of this Power Podcast. Certainly hope you've enjoyed it thus far. We look forward to the finale with you coming up over our final 25 games of the season. But until then, the team hits the road for Lakewood and Delmarva over the next seven days. Our final multi-series road trip of the season. Hope you'll tune in with myself and Kyle Yeomans on the Power Baseball Network. But until then, we say so long here on Expanding the Grid.